This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Banks Europe. Today, we are in a very special location. We are here at Money 2020 Europe in Amsterdam, and uh, I'm very happy to be here. This is day two of the conference. And yesterday, we have already seen a lot of interesting speakers uh, and quite an interesting lineup of companies uh, presenting their products here. And I'm very happy to host today uh, two exceptional guests. So we have here Scarlett Sieber. She is the Chief Strategy and Growth Officer at Money 2020. And Sophie Guibon, Co-Founder and Chief Commercial and Growth Officer at Fiat Republic. Good morning, ladies, and welcome back to the show. Thank you. Hi, Francesca. Happy to be here. Yeah, very happy. Actually, how is uh, the whole conference going? Uh, I mean, uh, it's been some tough years uh, in general, some weird years, I would say. How it's uh, these year conferences for you? I'll let Sophie go first because obviously I'll have a a bit of a longer answer than she will. (laughs) I bet you do. I would say it's big. Like, I think it's like the biggest money 2020 ever. And I think it's also like the um, coolest, um, even more surprises, even more streams, even more things to do and many great connections. So for, for me, it has just been amazing so far. Great. Sophie, Sophie goes to a lot of shows. Every time <laughs> we're talking, she's on a different continent. Um, so, and, and she knows this, and I always use her as one of my data points. Um, the show's going very well. And, and I say show intentionally because what we really try to do is, and this is not meant to be an advert for Money 2020, but just to give a little bit more perspective for those of you who are not here with us, is making it really more of an experience. And as Soph says, like it is about connections and uh, and all of that, but really the stages were designed to be tailored to people in a way that was uh, the mo- made the most sense for them. So one of them, the middle stage, i.e. impulse, you could sit, relax, have pillows on your back, yeah. put your feet up. One person was taking a nap, yet he actually was one of the most engaged when he when there was a question, which was quite funny. Um, other ones, you know, between if you're running to go get, you know, your test before going home or between the next meeting, you can go in and pop in for five minutes and pop out. Whereas other ones are a true experience where you are dedicated for 45 minutes. You know, there's there's some of them that don't have media and you just sit there and have those those real conversations. So um, it's going it's going well. And as Sophie says, it's busy and it's big and um I'm I'm loving all the smiling faces. That's yeah. what I like. It's it's nice and um, so yeah, ha- happy. 
And I also see a lot of new faces, to be honest, a lot of new companies. So it's a very good sign that the conference is becoming big and, you know, there is a lot of uh, talking uh, points around uh, Europe and what Europe does. Um, so, of course, I want to deep dive a little bit more in the topic of today, which is the presentation of your book. Um, you together wrote uh, um, a book called Embedded Finance When Payments Become an Experience. Um, of course, the topic of embedded finance is quite pervasive uh, nowadays and uh, we see it's kind of a very hot topic also for the coming days. And uh, um, it's interesting actually to see how uh, big the magnitude is uh, um, uh, that the financial services are having even in terms of revenues uh, um, uh, from companies that are actually not really fintech companies. Um, so... Let's start from the very beginning. How did this book come together and how did you have the uh, idea or the willingness to talk about embedded finance? Maybe I'll take the book and you talk about the idea. Um, so Sophie and I have known each other. Actually, it's kind of funny because it's been almost exactly three years. And in fact, we met here at Money 2020 Europe. And I quite literally so am getting goosebumps. So it's actually goosebumps. your anniversary. Yes, <laughs> yes. And... Um, I don't know why, but when you meet people, sometimes there's just like an instant connection. It sounds like a dating site, but it's not, it's not meant to be that way. <laughs> um, we just, we connected quickly um, and, you know, automatically just had that moment and we stayed in close touch. We also were new moms together and had everything, so much of the conversation can focus on fintech, but we happened to be, we both had different um bumps along the road professionally and we just use each other as confidants. And so we just started having those conversations and I was talking to someone else around it and you can be friends with people, but there's many friends that I have here that I wouldn't write a book with, but we're just good counter counterparts. And so it was, we knew we wanted to do something and then the question was what, and then, so if you can take over that, cause I, I love your, your response to that. Yeah. So so basically I've been doing that for 10 years. So banking as a service and, and, We have been talking for so many years about actually brands doing financial services, yeah. right? And last year I started like uh, as a moderator in a clubhouse um, group. And uh, at this point, um, well, I, I thought it was like a good time to talk about embedded finance. I just wanted to explore that. Um, And I, I remember, and I, I give this example quite uh, well, very often, and Scarlett <laughs> knows it, but when, one day I saw on my feed uh, something that says, uh, Grab uh, Financial Services is now as big as Grab Restaurants and Grab Drivers. Oh, yeah. And then at this point, I was just like, Like, there is no way back. Yeah. Like, as much as, like, crypto is also, for me, something where there yes, is no way course. back. Embedded finance, I was just like, okay, that's going to be a tidal wave. And mentioned that to Scarlett and brought her in, like, for a series that we did with Tree, actually, from Shopify. Yeah. And at this point, we just discussed, okay, like, what about writing a book uh, about embedded finance? Because it's a, it's, there's so many things to, to say. People are leaving it already, so many use cases, yet um, nobody knows so much about it. So now it has become a, a much more thing, yeah. known expression. But when we started um, writing about it and like talking about the book, there were not many articles about it. So, yeah. And, th and that was an interesting piece, right? And I think what you, you just mentioned is so funny because I've, I've been trying, as I said, you know, I'm popping in and out of sessions and 
there are very few where embedded finance isn't mentioned. And it, it's like, it, we, we were not reactionary or we proactive. And in fact, there were some challenges because, you know, both Sophie and I work very hard on building our personal brands. And so because of that, we, you know, we do, uh, we are honored to have a, a significant following. But when we were talking to different publishers, a lot of them were like, you're the right authors. Why are you doing this? It's like a niche topic. No one, like, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be there. And we were insistent on it. And there's a few other things about the content in the book that even when we got the right partner, uh, and, and a publisher to, and, and we had a few options, which we were very lucky for. Again, we put in the work to get there, but, um, there was other parts of it they didn't want us to cover. And we, we felt like, and I still feel like I haven't heard some of that stuff yet as talked about here. And I know that that will be coming next once yeah. we get to that first level. It's very funny that they consider that a niche topic, because if you think about that, it involves so many levels. And um, I was actually thinking while you were talking about yesterday, um, I was hearing a panel with Dan Marovitz from Booking.com. And he actually said that they are building one of the largest uh, embedded finance platform. And if you think about Booking.com, I mean, you wouldn't say it's a fintech company. So it's really, really interesting because it, it impacts on so many different levels. But about that, I'm curious um, to hear your opinion about, the, um, for example, t thinking about Booking. Um, they are not a fintech company. They are building up an embedded uh, platform, um, embedded finance platform. So do you think that in this sense, we can say that every company can be a fintech company or it's an outrated kind of uh, sentence? Can I have the first go? Yeah. So on on the, on the booking.com, I would like to like mention actually a news of last year. They, they launched their fintech team, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's actually like a good starting point because they are launching that, but they are doing it properly by building a team um, uh, starting from scratch. Um, I would like to draw a second example also is um, Shopify. Like yeah. last year, we actually interviewed uh, them with uh, Scarlett. And when we asked the question, are you a fintech? They answered yes. Interesting. So th the answer is that yes, yeah. like most companies have the potential to, to become fintech companies. It needs to make sense. They need to have audiences. It needs to make sense to have financial services within the, the services already sold by, um, by those companies. But what we see is that if it's the case, then financial services just are taking over the other part of the business. So yes, eventually most f companies can become fintech companies in the right context, right? I think that the very last sentence is what I will will uh, take a little bit more time and elaborate on because I think Sophie and I have somewhat differing opinions and we talked about this a fair amount, which I which, which is in the right context. So yeah. I totally agree with, with, with her there and because we talked a lot about this because of course we know one of the other things from this was when Angela Strange talked about every company will be a fintech company and it's what, in the right context when it makes sense. So will there be a piece of the movement of money in almost everything, yes. And it doesn't make more sense for some companies like a Shopify, like a booking.com, yes. But I think the same way what you just talked about with the, the, the fintech team at booking, it was like there was chief digital officers for a period of time and, and 
that made sense because we were moving to that. Just yeah. like I don't think that necessarily you will have a fintech team, but that will be a natural part of the company moving forward. So right now we should be looking and talking to those fintech teams in the future. That's going to be part of that leadership team anyways. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And uh, um you know, it's also a, a matter of put things in the right way and uh, they have to make sense. So in this uh, in this case, uh, you know, not all the companies probably are doing that right. And many times it's like probably taking the wave of uh, marketing, I would say, maybe, or the buzz of the world that now it's uh, quite present. Um, another really interesting point that got my attention in your book is about the generational changes. So... Um, of course, we are, um, as a customers, we are expecting a kind of seamless kind of service. So to pay without even notice that, for example. And um, thinking about the Gen Z, for example, do you really think that companies are adjusting to their new behavior and um, really making some, uh, some steps towards that? Or it's something that they are not really thinking about right now? Sure. Um, I think... People are thinking about it. And but when when Soph and I were when we were thinking about it for our book, yes, it was Gen Z, but we were talking about and thinking about our children. So way younger than that and what their experience is gonna be like. And um so we, we did talk about the the time is is now and to your point, people have expectations about the seamless nature and behavior of things. We do do a fair amount of time talking about the pros and cons of that because I think it's easy to say, yes, everyone wants this and it should be seamless and it should be as easy as whatever, whatever, ever, which is true. But the opposite side, and we were also very adamant on making sure I don't want to use like such another buzzword, but it is financial inclusion, but more like impact on people who are maybe not thinking about it. And if it becomes too easy, what are the ramifications of that? How could that actually impact you in a negative way? And then, um, you know, we talk a, f- a fair amount about 2030, but I'll let Soph do that because she lights up when we mm-hmm. talk about this part. And that comes kind of into our kids and how, what their experience could be like. And they'll still be a little bit too young by then, but close to more close to those interactions. Yeah, so uh, as part of like the last chapter of the book, which is actually everybody's favorite, yeah. we are talking about the journey of, uh, of me two, and, yeah, exactly, and Mike, yeah. of, uh, of Mia and Mike and what uh, a life uh, in an embedded finance context looks like where everything is actually seamless and uh, um, here and payments happen because they need to happen at the, the, the right moment, right? Yeah. So we go through, uh, through the day of, uh, of Mia and we see what it's going to look like. Um, and of course, it's a projection of the future, but it's actually a projection of the future that is like extremely likely and could even happen earlier, I would say, yeah. depending on uh, on um, on uh, the uh, the adoption uh, by by people. What a point on the Gen Z where I would like to uh, to go back to is that um, we our parents were born on giving trust to banks, right? Yes. Uh, we were actually born on giving trust to banks. And slowly we have been evolving on giving trust to fintechs, right? Mm-hmm. And slowly it has been, we have been evolving on build, uh, giving trust to, to brands that we like, that have our values, provide the service we want. And like, I would expect that our next generation, also conscious about maybe their data and, and their usage, because that's a hot topic of the moment, would also like trust brands that reflect their, their personality and their belief. So I, I would expect them to welcome 
like embedded finance in a much more open or fast way than uh, other people would do, like our parents, for example. Nice. Yeah, and uh, Scarlett, you mentioned the financial inclusion uh, point, uh, which I think is very interesting. Um, uh, can you maybe, ladies, touch a really, um, really a bit upon the um, how embedded finance can foster financial inclusion? Yeah. So I think um, I have been, uh, I've had the opportunity to work for global organizations, one of which uh, was BBVA, and we did a fair amount of. I knew this, of course, because I worked with them, but as anything happens, that was years ago now. And so we have the updated version of what they're doing. So spend a fair amount of time in Latin America, um, just using that as an example, because we really do take that global perspective. Um, you just talked about it for a second ago, so, but I'll just elaborate on that again, which is around that data piece, because it really is about, and I, and I think it's responsible use of data, because there's so many con you know conversations about data, and it's how are you actually utilizing that information to benefit them and make their life better. Uh, there's one example that we give that I really enjoy, which is um, a car example, and Uh, insurance, uh, an auto insurance company. Uh, it's a startup called Root, but it could be any, any, Every. anyone where you would say, you know, that they have all of this data on you and your behaviors. They know when you put the brake on, they know when you make turns, they know all these other things. And so they have this intimate relationship with you. And by the way, the most likely reason that you're going to be engaging with them is because you are a cost conscious, cost conscious customer. And so something happens, you get in a car accident, you get a flat tire or whatever else, instead of, and this is around the world, going to a check cashing place or whatever else, or having to do a, you know, a short-term loan at a crazy, crazy high interest rate, they know enough about you to know that this is actually, they should be the one best positioned to give you that, that loan. I think in Latin America, there is still so much of the population that is completely unbanked. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when, when I was at BBV, I don't know the stats now, but back then in Mexico, as an example, one in three loans in the country was through BBVA. And so just because they're not banking with you doesn't mean that there's not things that they have information that, that can tell you their ability to do things. So using utility bills, using phone bills, things like that, I think is a really important way. And obviously embedded finance is a really big part of that. Yeah, I will. I will add up a few uh, a few examples from uh, from the book on uh, on that. Like I think uh, there are many different categories uh, of people and companies it can uh, it can help. So there is um, Uber that uh, in Mexico is actually doing uh, loans for their drivers. They yeah. know the income of their drivers. They are able to pay their salary in real time. They are able to actually uh, give them loans to buy a car, to pay for petrol. Um, and that is just because they know how their drivers are working and also they have the ratings on the drivers. So like it helps uh, financial inclusion, for example, of gig workers, of companies. So Shopify, like every time you uh, open a Shopify shop, you can open a bank account in one click. Matt yeah. from Stripe was mentioning that yesterday. While like if you talk to three, like before their customers were taking 10 to 15 days to open a bank account, if they could, and do a business plan and all that kind of thing. And so that's a source of financial inclusion for, um, for businesses. And a, a last example that I have loved from uh, Matt uh, Anderson from, from uh, Stripe has been um, 
around uh, um, a review website for handyman and a handyman had a, a business and he went to um, to banks and the banks didn't want to give him loans and it was uh, actually he needed to hire more people uh, and he couldn't uh, get those loans and basically this review websites mm-hmm. offered him a loan because they knew the reviews were outstanding for his work and it has really enabled this guy to either to ma- yes, ma- make it or, or break it you know but so I think it's fantastic example there are many many more but it touches many categories that are actually like unbanked or under underbanked basically yeah exactly and, that's and, why it's so pervasive yeah and so about time it's, it's just about timing too like you said it's like if you if you're not thinking about oh well 10 or 15 days does that really matter but it does it in does, that situation and if, yeah. even we go back to that plumber example hiring that one person because of the reviews he's you know obviously doing doing very well and 15 days think about how many people call and need something a mm-hmm. plumber is you're in an, an emergency you know and you don't have you don't have the capacity there so Time is really important. Great. Um, and uh, Sophie, you mentioned before um, about the last chapter of the book, uh, which is the, uh, <laughs> the favorite of many people. Um, so uh, can you give us a little bit a hint of the future? I mean, uh, without spoiling too much, but um, where, do you th- where do you think uh, embedded finance is heading? Yeah, so we have been exploring different areas. So we have been talking about like the, um, the life in embedded, uh, in the, well, I mean, a day in uh, an embedded finance world for for people. Yeah. Um, I think there is a fair point where we see that what what we believe in is that there will be a multitude of wallets, and it's what Scarlett was mentioning at the beginning of uh, of this conversation, uh, where basically payments happen when they need to happen, but you not necessarily go to your bank account for for making stuff happen. Um, we also mention uh, basically um, uh, optimization when it comes to to savings and. W- whether it's in crypto or um, in uh, or in fiat or, yeah. or things like that, and basically like payments and savings happen without you thinking about it, and everything is optimized in uh, in real time. And I think it's uh, something that Matt Harris talked ex- extensively about in uh, in a few of his uh, articles, and um, and we believe that the future we're gonna go um, this way. And finally, we talk a bit about the the metaverse, right? And uh, which is like a, a trend <laughs> that is up. Uh, up and coming yeah, already, course, already yeah. there. And what we have seen in the past uh, years is that, of course, uh, crypto platforms going from just crypto to crypto exchange to adding fiat rates. And we believe that the same is going to happen like uh, with metaverse experiences. So like basically payments coming again and the ability to have NFTs interact with, with the metaverse and all of that powered by Indian embedded uh, finance. No, you, you, it was funny. I was just thinking because right before I ran over here because I was actually uh, watching a session on on the metaverse. And I think it is, it, it's one of those topics where everyone's talking about it. And I think very few. Nobody knows. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but it, it, it you can use the real world examples now and, and, you know, that virtual world and back to what Sophie and I talk a lot about offline and the impact on brands and big brands like McLaren, this is not a financial inclusion example, but it's more about the connection. So think about the typical customer who actually has a McLaren. You're looking at a pretty small portion of the population, but there are a lot of people who are fans of McLaren, yet McLaren has 
has not had to this point the ability to have that direct relationship. So how can you still connect with your fan base that is multitudes bigger than who actually can afford your car yeah. and still have a relationship and still give them that feeling, that sense of belonging. And a lot of that can be done through virtual worlds and the metaverse is a key part of that. So great. So ladies, it was a very nice conversation. We are actually uh, wrapping up and I want to remember to our audience that uh, the book is uh, available on Amazon, I believe. And of course, we will share the link also in the uh, Breaking Banks Europe channels. And uh, thanks a lot for joining us. And uh, we are going to break for a few minutes and then back with another conversation at Breaking Banks. Thanks, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back to Breaking Banks Europe. We are here for another interview with uh, Neil Harris and uh, still at the um, Money 2020 Amsterdam. And Neil is actually from the Inclusion Foundation, as you can see from this uh, beautiful outfit. Hi, Neil, how are you? Very well, thank you, Francesca. Thanks for great coming. To, great to be here, really excited to be here. All right, so first of all, can you tell us a little bit more about the Inclusion Foundation? Uh, how did you build it? Uh, what it is about? And then we go a little bit more deep into the report that you just shared with uh, the audience. Perfect. Yeah, so the foundation, we founded it in uh, 2019, at the end of 2019, just before the pandemic hit. Uh, who knew what was going to happen? Um, but uh, I think from a perspective of, you know, purpose, the purpose of the foundation is really about connecting people, consumers, businesses to the right financial services products that fit their need and their lifestyle. Um, so that, that's, the, that's the first and the most important thing that we do from a foundation perspective. Second piece is around education. So educating those consumers, helping support them um, in, in their decisions in, fi in finding the right financial services. And then thirdly, um, educating the industry as well and government and the regulation um, around how can we as a fintech family support better uh, those people who are underserved and in, and typically unbanked yeah and this you touch upon a um, very interesting point and you know um, we also work as FTS group as we were mentioning before within financial inclusion um, uh, projects and many times uh, I have the feeling that uh, people are really much focusing on developing countries when talking about financial inclusion. While, for example, I'm talking as an Italian, uh, I see a lot of things going on even in Europe. Like, we are not that well settled in Europe either. So, it's, do you think it's really something about uh, the uh, developing countries uh, uh, at all, or it's, it's more like even Europe has to make some, some step forward uh, for make people um, have access to the financial system? Yeah, absolutely. I think in some ways, some of the developing countries are more advanced. Um, you know, they're adopting crypto yep. and blockchain in ways that we could only dream of or imagine. They have less legacy also. So the legacy, so they're, so, so they're, they're leapfrogging some of the technology challenges that the historic, you know, the traditional players have got and also the legacy platforms that are out there. Um, and, and, you know, but from a UK Europe perspective, there's still a huge issue 
uh, from an inclusivity perspective. So uh, just in the UK alone, 1.23 million people are totally cash dependent today. Still a huge number, you know, proportion of the population. When you compact that with digital exclusion as well, so people who don't have access either through education yep. and being tech savvy and being able to connect and understanding what an app is and, and how it operates. And actually there's a fear factor there as well. So overcoming those fears and those, those reservations, as well as just having access, proper broadband, um, correct access to their money, to check their money, to understand where their uh, financial state standing is. There are some big challenges, and that's why people are still, you know, we've still got these 1.23 million people in the UK alone that are totally cash dependent because there's no better metric or measure to manage your money. Yeah. It's the, it's the, it's the best thing. And, and why, do you, why do you think it's that? I mean, do you think it's really a, a cultural thing? Because, for example, I was living in the Netherlands for a lot of years, and the Netherlands, it's kind of, I would say, one of the best cashless society, for example. Um, because at some point, I had the feeling that people are much more willing to um, take the innovation process much quick, quicker than other countries. So do you think it's a cultural thing? Do you think it's uh, um, something coming from the government, an educational side? What do you think is that? Yeah, I, do, I, I think it's a mixture of all of those things. I think, um, you know, if you look at, again, the UK specifically, 10 years ago, over 50% of all of our transactions in the UK were cash-based. Yeah. Today, it's less than 17%. That's a huge reduction. It's still a big number, but it's still a huge reduction. So why are people reluctant to let go of cash? It's our sovereignty, it's culture, it's, 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 our, yeah. it's our, our currency. So there's a pride factor, but there's also a control and budgetary factor. I know that I've got £12.72 in my wallet, and I know that I can spend that almost in every stores. One of the challenges today is that stores yeah. are retreating and, and as you say we are sleepwalking into a cashless society without really without mm -hmm. any legislation, without knowing about it. And that poses a challenge for those individuals who are cash dependent, who, who are penalised um, through the poverty premium because they want to trade in our sovereign coin. Right? Yeah. That, that's, that's crazy. Um, so there is a big area around education that's and that's something that we do focus on on the ebook um, education of not only the individuals and the consumers but also the industry and the regulators yeah. we are calling um, as, as well as Lord Holmes has been very vocal um, in the House of Lords very recently around ensuring that not only people can still continue to, to spend their cash number one it's really important that acceptance is is number one priority but secondly there is a a, a creation of a, um, a, a a line in the sand which we're all targeting towards we know when when we're targeted to go cashless so everybody can prepare everyone can get educated you know people think that it's just all about you know it's the older population and once that older population are no longer with us then we won't have a problem everyone yeah. will be digital it's not the case no. uh, and our studies uh, if you read the the paper actually reflect that as well so yeah this is actually quite interesting because you know um <laughs> Talking about money is always like a sort of uh, um, difficult topic. And I always make this example um, because I have a lot of friends that are actually maybe they are doctors, they are engineers or whatever, 
but they have a very poor financial education because they really like uh, um, this is not something I want to think about. I want to um, pass the, uh, the duty to someone else, to the bank, to the financial system. So I have the feeling that we should do much more in terms of education, even in the families probably, or at school, and the government should support much more this whole process, because at the end of the day, this is just, it's not rocket science, you know? So it's just uh, something that impacts your life and you should be aware of and you should be empowered about that. Um, so what's the, what's the actual situation in Europe? Uh, I mean, within your report, you have made some, you have found some data about that. And uh, which country is, is best positioned, if there is any? I think each country have their own particular challenges. I, I think part of the challenge of true financial inclusion is the diversity of and the reason why people are excluded whether that's because of you know mental health issues um, disability immigration the old the young you know there are multiple reasons faith is a is a big matter as well you know um, in the UK uh, one of the largest Islamic banks actually got acquired and they pulled out of the market it meant that there were you know hundreds of thousands of individuals who had previously been served by that bank under the Sharia law that now no longer can, can find themselves um, a, a, a replacement. You know, so there are there are multiple reasons why um, why there is exclusion, um, not just in the UK but across Europe. But you know, so no no silver bullet. But what we know um, and through our research is that there are over two and a half thousand fintechs in the UK alone that are helping create better access, better solutions, better budgeting um, uh, 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 provision for those individuals. But the, the gap, the, the gap that we really need to bridge is that educational aspect and ensuring that those individuals have got access to those digital accounts, meaning you know, digital inclusion. That's really the, without digital inclusion, you don't have, you can't, you can never achieve full uh, financial inclusion. Yeah, exactly. That was also uh, an interesting point of the ebook, uh, uh, this connection between digital inclusion and financial inclusion. Absolutely right. Yeah, you, you touch very much on that. And uh, of course, we are here in Amsterdam at My2020, so I'm also curious to, to know what do you think about that and what, what do you want to achieve out of this conference? It's uh, it's it's already you know it's day one. Yeah, and it's already, <laughs> but we are already exhausted. As we said. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a whirlwind this morning. Um, Three a.m. start. Yeah. Uh, Six a.m. flight. Uh, got here at eight. And since then, I've done the nothing. mess of people. Let's be honest. <laughs> it's 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 been absolutely fantastic. You know, reconnecting with old friends and yeah. colleagues, um, reconnecting with the industry. As I say, the fintech family is super yeah. strong. And actually, through COVID, I think we've weathered pretty well. We've grown as an industry. We've we've been resilient. We've pivoted our propositions. So super proud of, of the industry that, that, that we serve. Um, super proud of the purpose of the industry we serve. Um, and so, you know, what I want to get out of this, uh, this session this week is, is really about connecting the dots. Our belief at the foundation is the solutions are out there. It's just about connecting the dots. It's, an, it's about ensuring that people are educated and supported, that they, they know that they're out there, that the regulators are supportive, that the governments are supportive, and that actually that the industry has a focus as well, because there are very small things, tweaks yeah. to propositions that could make 
some amazing um, propositions absolutely brilliant from an inclusion perspective very very small tweaks um, and that's what that's our that's our purpose at the foundation connecting those dots helping people find the right product and service that fits their need and um, and engaging with the industry to help educate them as well and, and the regulators so you know kudos to the team at the foundation um, I'm super proud nice and there is any um, announcement you want to leave our audience with like something maybe about the report where they can find it and sure yes or the activity of the financial of the inclusion inclusion foundation yeah so uh, you know if you want to get involved with the foundation um, you can uh, contact us through our website so it's www.theinclusionfoundation.org um, that you can also follow us on uh, on LinkedIn on social media um, there you find all of the access to the reports and everything. We're just about to sort of bring down a um, or release a infographic of the oh, report nice. just to help simplify. Some people don't want to read a full, you know, it's a meaty <laughs> report, right? And some people don't want to, they don't have time yeah. and we appreciate that. So we're trying to make it consumable and accessible, uh, as inclusive as possible for everybody. So, you know, spread the word. Please do feel free to, to download the, uh, the the materials, and if you if you're interested in uh, getting involved or uh, or helping out, um, you can contact us through the website. Great, and I also think we as Breaking Banks we are going to share the report to our channels, so the more the better, right? Brilliant. So Thank you, Francesca. That's very good. Thank you very much. Beautiful. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.